Welcome to Blog Talk Radio in High Fidelity. Welcome to the Along Came a Writer Network. Opinions expressed in our shows do not necessarily reflect those of the network. Welcome to the Along Came Writer Talk Show. I'm your host, Linda Kozar, and I want to welcome you to this show today. I will be interviewing award-winning author Pamela Christian. She's also a speaker, and um, she's going to be giving away an ebook copy of the third book in her Faith to Live By series called Revive Your Life, Rest for Your Anxious Heart. Remember, folks, drawings for book giveaways um, are awarded exclusively to recipients in the continental United States. So first, I'm going to uh, tell you a little bit about our guest today. Um, Transitioning from her work as a daily radio talk show host, national speaker, award-winning author, Bible and conference teacher, and keynote, Pamela Christian now serves as a television host with HSBN-TV, the Holy Spirit Broadcasting Network. Her passion is to help people discover and live in life-giving truth by intentionally examining their faith to make certain it is grounded in truth. She holds a certificate in apologetics from Biola and is a member of Biola Media Task Force, a member of the International Society of Women in Apologetics, Advanced Writers and Speakers Association, and Christian Women in Media Association. She served as a West Coast staff member for Women in Christian Media and Class Seminars Incorporated. She and her husband, David, live in Yorba Linda, California with their two grandchildren and families living nearby. It sounds perfect. Um, (laughs) Welcome to the show, Pamela. Thank you, Linda. Yeah, the bios always make a person sound really great. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, they do. But, you know, I think in your case, it's true. But uh, I, I do, I do want to mention also that uh, the second book in your series, um, "Examine Your Faith," won the CSPA 2017 Book of the Year Award. And yeah, um, actually, that was the first book in the series. Oh, the first book. I'm sorry. Yes, uh, yeah. In the Faith to Live By series. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, "Examine Your Faith: Finding Truth in a World of Lies" won the Small Christian Publishers Association 2017 Book of the Year in the yeah. Christian education category. So yes, this really is a, what an honor. Yes, that's awesome. Um, also, and we'll talk a little bit about this because I'm sure our um, our bloggers out there want, will want to know more about that. Um, you know, there's so many bloggers out there blogging their hearts out every day, but not getting much attention. And you, your blog won the top 50 status in 2017. That's, that's uh, amazing. I was surprised about that. I was really surprised, but very grateful. So I proudly displayed the, the medal that shows that I am part of the top 50. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, now, your books are ex- Examine Your Faith, Finding Truth in a World of Lies, Renew Your Hope, Remedy for Personal Breakthroughs, and the third one, Revive Your Life, Rest for Your Anxious Heart, which we are giving away today. And I have I have all the names in a little pile here, and I'm mixing them up even as we speak. And we're going to choose a winner uh, at the end of the show. <laughs> uh, I'm just going to start off with uh, this one question. What led you to write this series, Faith to Live By? And that's probably a loaded question because it's it's, you know, there's probably a lot to tell. Well, actually, I never aspired to be an author. All of the things that the Lord has allowed me to do in ministry, I never thought to myself, hey, I'd like to do X, Y, Z. He has just led me on this incredible path. And honestly, I did never ever. In fact, people would say, you're going to write a book. I said, no, I don't want to do that. That's too much work. (laughs) What happened, though, 
is I read an article by ABC News, and the title was something like, Americans are surprisingly flexible about religious faith. And I expected that I would read that Americans are very accepting of having people of different religions living in our country. But instead, I read that people are actually taking different tenets of different religions and creating a faith, if you will, quote unquote, of their own preference. And my Like heart, a Frankenstein monster. Yeah, yes, yes. And my heart sank. Uh, I was angry because I realized that these people are deceived and they don't know it yes. because that's the nature of deception. When a person's deceived, they're unaware. And I just, in anger, I began writing. I said, I have to write a book. I have to do something to address this. People have to understand that you cannot blend the different religions. I mean, I know it's popular. People say all roads lead to the same God in heaven and mm. all religions are equal. And these are these are popular sentiments in our culture, right. but they are not based on truth. And so I just set out writing the first book. And I, as I was writing the first book, I realized there was going to be more than one book. And so far there are three and I thought I was done, but it sounds like a fourth book is underway. <laughs> do, do you feel like when you're writing that the Holy Spirit is just sort of nudging you on in a, another direction to add this or that? I absolutely do. I try to stay very receptive to the Lord while I'm writing because it's his books and it's it's for his glory. It's for the truth to get out so that more people can discover the truth and then with their own logic and rationale realize Christianity is the faith that makes the most sense. So yes, I want it to be um, with the Lord's blessing and that it's his message. And with this last book in particular, I was right when I write, I write pretty fast. It's amazing how fast the information comes to me, um, how quickly I can do the research and assimilate it back into the books. Uh, but with this particular book, I thought I was done two, I think about two times. And I realized, no, I've got to add a different chapter. So I did. I added two more chapters to the book after I thought mm -hmm. it was complete. And it really rounded the book out. It made a, a big difference. Do you ever... Um... Do you ever go back and delete a thing or two? Because I, I know that happens. It happens to me where I'll just sort of wake up in the middle of the night and go, mm, I need to get rid of that. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, and it's yeah. it's just sort of the Holy Spirit just telling me, mm, no, yeah. change that. Yeah. That happens with me, but not an awful lot. I, I'm surprised at how linear I think whenever I'm writing. It's it's pretty well, amazing. I have to attribute it to the Lord, though. Well, how many words? I mean, you said you write fast. How many words can you write per day? Um, I have never stopped to calculate the number of words. But when I am writing a book, it is my only project. So I get up in the morning and around 8, 830, I start writing mm -hmm. and I don't stop until 4 or 5 o'clock. And each of wow. these books, there's three. Yeah, there's three books in this series so far. And I would say each of them have actually been researched and written in around six months each. Well, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I think so too. And I don't take the credit <laughs> for that because I really believe I'm on a mission and the Lord's just keeping me going. <laughs> okay, that's awesome. Well, I'm going to ask you along that along that line. Um, one of one of the questions um, in your press kit really stood out to me. <laughs> Uh, clearly, we live in a contentious and divided society characterized by much unrest. Um, all I have to do is turn the news on <laughs> for yes. that. But um, you trace the origin of our cultural condition to the period known as the Enlightenment that began in France in the 18th century. Can you mm -hmm. elaborate on that? Well, I can. Um, it's it's actually quite a bit of content in the book itself. But the French Enlightenment period, which did happen, in, as you said, within the uh, 18th century, was actually the beginning of liberalism, Protestant liberalism, specific to the Bible and, and deciding the people of, who were, quote unquote, enlightened of the day and discussing things, decided that the Bible was not necessarily infallible. And a lot of the traditions of a Protestant faith uh, were, were called into question. And we have seen the continuing trend of liberalism's disregard for the church's longstanding claim that scripture is divinely inspired and authoritative. And we've seen the impact it has on us even today. You know, when I was a young girl, Bible was available and, and the Pledge of Allegiance and the reference to God was available in public schools. 
It was part of a right. normal everyday occurrence. But even in my lifetime, there's been such a contentious disregard for everything Christian uh, to such a point that we no longer have a lot of the traditions that we've had. And I even saw an article the other day where a cross was being demanded to be cut off the top of a steeple at a church. So our culture has relegated God to being irrelevant and we're paying the price mm -hmm. for it. And, and Christians seem to be um, attacked. I mean, it, it, anyone else's, any other religion is, there's an outcry, but it's okay to say or do those things to Christians. Yes, you know? and unfortunately I mean, we're seeing it in several areas in our, in our culture. Yes. Um, now, uh, back after the, after the French Revolution, uh, the liberalism you were talking about, there were many Christians who were executed. You know, I mean, it's, it's people really, they look at the French Revolution as something sort of romantic, but what happened after that was horrendous. Yes. You know, and, and this it's, is uh, another thing, Linda, you know how in our schools, history is not accurately taught. Right. I we believe have, that. We have, mm -hmm. we have people in high influential positions, um, positions of leadership that don't know our history that don't know the truth about the Christian faith. Deception is rampant. And that's why I must be working as hard as I possibly can to use every form of media to help people question what they believe and why they believe it. Now, now you spend time appealing to the millennial generation in this book, and, and is that part of the reason why? Yeah, absolutely. As I've gotten familiar with the um, the plight of the millennials in our generation and, and in, in our times, my heart sank again. They have, they have some of the worst um, employment situations. They are strapped with college tuition debt. They don't feel that the ability to purchase a home is even within their grasp. And at the same time, they have this, within their culture, within the millennial culture, they have this deep desire to do something very significant. And the problem is yes. that they have, they have ruled God out, they've ruled the Bible out, and they can't find their significance as they ought. So yes, with the millennials in mind, I definitely wrote this third book. Well, that's a perfect segue into talking about this third book, <laughs> um, Revive Your Life. Could you tell us a bit about it? Yes. Um, it's written for the, for the millennial or any other individual who is wholly dissatisfied with life and has a nagging sense that there just must be something better. They're not positive that it exists, but they're hopeful. And it's like the bottom, they're at the bottom of their ability to believe, but they still have enough belief that they're willing to check something else out and see if it's what they're seeking. That's what this third book is about. That's why it's entitled Revive Your Life, rest for your anxious heart. Um, there, there are so many deceptive influences out there. And I'm just going to put this out. Um, I, I stay away from the shack <laughs> because of mm -hmm. its universalism. You know, the message is non-biblical to me. But so many people, so many Christians, I mean, if you saw the movie just as fantasy, that would be one thing. But so many Christians have been taken in by it. Yes. Um, do you think that's part of the deception? Well, deception is rampant. It's in it's in all arenas, and because that's the enemy's major tool. He that began in the Garden of Eden, and so deception of all types is rampant. We see it in our entertainment, in our media. We certainly are seeing deception in our news that's being reported as of late. Right. It's just rampant, and that's where it becomes incumbent on each one of us to make a point of discovering truth. Now there's another point of uh, deception. There's a lot of people, it's very popular to, to claim that truth is relative. Yes. But in reality, mm -hmm. truth is absolute and it can be proven that truth mm -hmm. is absolute. So when a person is truly seeking and they're hungry to find that something better, they've got to be willing to look inward and examine what they already believe and why they believe it. And it takes courage, Linda, because most of us believe what yes. we do because 
a parent figure or some other prominent figure in our life whom we esteem highly has helped guide us to our current mindset, our current belief system. And so it almost yes. could feel like an affront to examine or reconsider what we believe. But it's highly important because, again, we can be deceived and not know it. That is the very nature of deception. So we must be deliberate about reconsidering what we believe and why. And, you know, we have to pay attention to what we hear. I remember I was at a church one time and they asked me, you know, oh, we'll ask the writer to do this. Um, <laughs> they asked me to take notes during sermons at which different, um, you know, visiting pastors or the regular staff would preach. And um, so I would take notes and then post them on a blog. Well, I didn't realize how much we normally miss in a service and, mm -hmm. and how much sometimes a visiting pastor who comes in says things that don't agree with the Bible. <laughs> mm -hmm. And that was really eye-opening for me because, you know, most of us will sit in a service, uh, could be in any church, um, and no one is infallible. You know, people can be off mm -hmm. on certain things. And uh, do you think, I, I mean, that is, that is something that uh, we just sort of take in or, you know, people don't pay attention after a certain amount of time, but yet we're listening. We're still, yes. you know, our soul is there listening <laughs> to this. Yes. Well, I trace it back again to the public school system that has been so secularized. In addition to being secular, secularized, we've taken out prominent aspects of education, such as history. I mentioned that earlier, but also yes. courses on logic and reason. They used to be required classes. They are no longer required unless you're going into a specialized field of study. So instead of students who are now adults and are in positions of leadership being taught how to think, they've been told what to think. So they don't really have the skills to ration and reason. This is what I try to bring out and try to use as an appeal to my readers and my audiences. Uh, one of the first things I ask my audiences when I speak in public is who in this room wants to live your life on the basis of a lie? Well, no one ever raises their hand to that question. And that's a very revealing question because it means, first of all, universally, humankind believes that deception is bad and truth is better, which reveals we universally have a moral compass to know what is good and what is bad. So just starting with that premise and appealing to my audiences with respect and encouraging them to use logic and reason and, and to help them through that process I, in, as inductively as possible, try to present the information that they can make a conclusion for themselves and be confident in it. And and that is much needed. There are uh, too many people who kind of have a Pontius Pilate attitude uh, when he asked Jesus, what is truth? You know, um, and mm -hmm. truth was standing right in front of him. Mm -hmm. and, and it's standing right in front of us now. Yeah, it is. And, and the other thing is that our society has gone not only away from rationale and logic, we've gone away from thinking. How many times do you hear people say, I feel X, Y, Z? I feel X, Y, Z. Yes. We use the term I feel when we should be using the term I think. And the reason it's become popular to say I feel is because you cannot challenge my feelings. But if I say I mm. think, then I can someone can challenge me wanting to know on what basis do you think and this is well, what I, I, yeah you're mm -hmm. on to something there definitely mm -hmm. you know keep going well, a, lot, <laughs> yeah, a lot of people think that faith is blind they think that there's absolutely no reason to believe what a person believes it's just a blind faith based on preference that is not true no one in their right mind would place their faith in something without having a sufficient amount of evidence that it's worthy of their trust. There are just people consider who... sitting on a chair. Yeah. Just consider sitting on oh. a chair. You have, you're convinced about the structural integrity of the chair that it will hold your weight. So you are able to sit in it by faith. So what we need to do is have people understand that faith does have a sound, objective, verifiable evidence. And it's on that basis that we can confidently choose to place our faith accordingly. Now, there's a big difference between having 
gone to church or visited a church and really being born again and having church in your heart. Mm-hmm. But it's hard to, it's really hard to explain to others, you know? I mean, you can tell them what you know, but um, unless their heart is ready to receive it, it's difficult for them to grasp. That's very true. And yet we do have that wonderful parable that some people will be the planters of the seed, some will water the seed, and others will be there when the seed is germinated. So we each one need to do what we can in any given situation. We just don't know when the heart will be ready and when the Holy Spirit will be able to connect with the individuals. But we do know that Christ died so that anyone who wants to have a relationship with him can do so. I mean, there's a, you know, he himself said, I am the way, the truth and the life. And no one comes to the father except by me. And people out there claim that that's exclusive. Well, it's not Linda, you and I both know that it's God, Mm. Jesus's opens, arms are open wide. Uh, His, his offer is available to anyone who wants to place their faith in him. So it's highly inclusive. It's not exclusive. Well, and I think some people will look at look at someone and say, oh, there's no way they would, they would ever become a Christian. They would ever give their life to Christ. And that's not for us to say. Um, we're supposed Precisely. to tell everyone the good news. Mm-hmm. Now, do you find this world a scary place? Um, because of my faith, I do not. I do grieve over the <laughs> increasing evil, the increasing darkness. I do grieve over that, but I also rejoice over the promises of God and the increase of light or the increase of truth. Uh, we're seeing both increase right now. It's it, We are living in a very fascinating time, maybe one of the most fascinating and impactful since Christ walked the earth. We are, we are really truly seeing God come on the scene in a strong and impacting way. You know, a lot of people have uh, relegated, as I, th- I think I said earlier, the Bible as being irrelevant. And so we have a lot of biblical illiteracy. And that is another problem with people not being able to discern what's what's truth and what's not. Yes. I mean, uh, it's, it's the whole uh, Sunday Bible study lesson about knowing, knowing your money, you know, studying the real deal so that mm-hmm. you can recognize counterfeit, but not vice versa. Right which is kind of counterintuitive if you think about it, but it's true knowing what's real. Mm -hmm. So um, let's see, I'm, I'm going to switch gears here and talk about your endorsements um, for this last book um, endorsed by Bill Johnson, Dr. Richard Land and Dr. James Gall. Um, Yes. Now, besides writing an excellent book, how can authors gain endorsements? What is the the best way to do that? Well, you know, I'm not sure I've got the answer. I have some answer, so I I would be glad to weigh in on this. When I look for endorsers, I look for people who have the same point of view of my particular book. And in this case, because I tend to be on the charismatic side of Christian faith, I was very grateful to get Dr. Richard Land's endorsement because he is one who does not necessarily believe that the gifts are still available today, as we saw in the time when Christ walked this earth. He would be what's considered a cessationist, a person who does not believe that the gifts are available today. And I'm an individual who believes that the gifts are, so that makes me a continuationist. So when I'm, that makes me one too. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So when I wrote to Dr. Richard Land, I knew that he was, in my case, a horse of a different color. And I had the most delightful telephone conversation with him. I just was very bold and wrote to his, his organization and said that I'm writing this book and I would like to have him consider potentially endorsing it. And he entertained it. He said, yes, send, it, send me the PDF. And then he asked me to call him before he ever committed to giving me an endorsement. And we had a, a delightful conversation. He paid me many compliments. He told me that he actually profited from reading my book, which really blessed me. That is a great compliment. Yes, yes. And he said that because he has a different position, that he would be happy to endorse my book, but with the caveat that he does not necessarily agree that the gifts are available for today. And I thought, I would love that. 
because I know I, I already knew that James uh, James Gall was going to endorse and I knew that Bill Johnson was going to endorse and they're definitely on the charismatic, the gifts are for today school. And to have Dr. Richard Land endorse my book, even with the caveat, in my opinion, was a bridge builder. Oh, certainly. Yeah, that's great. So, mm -hmm. so some of our listeners who write and perhaps look for an endorsements, find someone who's along the same lines as you, but not necessarily um, on all the same, <laughs> agrees right. with you on everything, but perhaps right. on the main, on the important things. Well, and that's, that's yeah. the beauty of Christianity. There are really only five essentials to yes. that a person must hold to that makes them a Christian. Beyond that, everything else is, is secondary and it's, it's doctrine, uh, it's dogma, but it's not supposed to divide us. We're supposed to stay united right. on those five basic principles. And that's what Dr. Richard Land demonstrated. And I was very delighted about that. My first book, Examine Your Faith, Finding Truth in a World of Lies, I do use, as you mentioned, I have a certificate in apologetics and I do use apologetics in my writing. So I thought, well, I'll just see if Josh McDowell would be willing to endorse my book. And lo and behold, he was. So I would encourage any yeah. upcoming, any budding writers or any, any people who maybe even seasoned writers, when you're looking for an endorser, just pray about it and be bold. The worst they can say is no. Yeah. And if, if you don't ask, you'll never, you know, you'll never know and you'll never get yeah. that endorsement if you don't ask. But um, I say go about it smartly too, you know, in a, you know, in a humble way. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, I've seen, I've seen the opposite thing happen. And, uh, it's, and very respectfully too. Um, yes. In communicating, with people that, in communicating with people who are influential uh, in the Christian world, or, or even in different uh, industry, it wouldn't matter. If you're looking for endorsements, you're looking for people who are influ influential, who will give credence to your book just because they've endorsed it. So you want to be highly professional and highly respectful. And um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, and it's very important because they're giving their name to your work. And yes. that's, uh, that's something that um, people take seriously. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Mm -hmm. um, okay, so let's, you started to touch on this before, but when did you start writing and what inspired you? It would have been 2012, I believe, and it was that article that I mentioned by ABC News that talked about Americans being tolerant of religious faith. And in reading it and realizing that people are so woefully deceived and that they don't know it, I had to do something to appeal to people's intellect, to appeal to people's ability for reconsideration of what they believe. And, and that's a tough sell, Linda, because if a person thinks that they've already discovered truth, they're not looking for truth. So why would they want to buy my book? Right? Right. So how did you go about exactly. the process though? Did you start, well, did you go in your prayer closet and, <laughs> and come out with all your ideas or how did you, well, did you get an agent? Did you get an editor? I did not get an agent um, and I did not, I do have an editor. I have a lovely editor. I would ha be happy to privately recommend her, but I, I chose not to have an agent and I chose to self-publish because I could get my books into the marketplace quicker, but I also wanted to be able to yes. compete with the traditionally published books. I'm not willing to put out an inferior product. And as you mentioned at the top of the program, my first book, won the Small Christian Christian Publishers Award of the Year for 2017. In fact, the second book and the first book have each won two awards. Uh, and the, the Sela Awards with Renew Your Hope, the second book in the series, was actually, um, I if I'm not mistaken, there was about 230 entries, 14 different categories, and my book placed uh, competing against major traditional publishers. I was among the top three. So I was exceedingly grateful for that. Uh, if, if anybody is considering yes. self-publishing, they want to make sure that they're able to compete with the big boys. Well, I, I mean, I'm published traditionally and indie, and I found indie to be uh, very freeing. I mean, it was, it was a big learning curve for me as to mm -hmm. how to get started. And I made some mistakes in the beginning, but I absolutely adore the freedom that I have with it yes. and that I can hire all the services I need. Um, you know, I can hire an editor, I can hire a formatter. Um, 
book cover designer, all those things, and uh, and come out with a product that's virtually indistinguishable from right. what comes out of a publishing house. Right. And there's several tips for authors about if they're considering indie publishing. Um, if they can either go with an independent publisher uh, rather than publishing under their own name or publishing under Create Space ISBN, uh, you would be better off because right. the bookstores really have a, a love-hate relationship with Amazon. They believe that Amazon has really caused a lot of the smaller bookstores to go out of business. And whenever the bookstores see an ISBN number that is clearly from Create Space, they will not stock that book. For the most part, <laughs> they will not stock that book. It's true. And most of the serious indie authors I know will buy their ISBNs, uh, exactly. purchase their own. And and plus, the thing that worries a lot of us is um, Amazon really owns that Create Space um, ISBN. Mm -hmm. And what if they decide you no longer own your book in the future or something? I mean, they make all these all these decisions just sort of off the cuff. So I would I would prefer to have my own ISBNs, <laughs> just in, I'm in case. Complete, yes, I'm in yeah. complete agreement. Mm -hmm. So these are tips for indie authors. <laughs> um, so what is your current work in progress? You mentioned that you might have enough material for a fourth book. I, I believe a fourth book is in order. I'm currently committed to a couple of other projects, including the television program that you mentioned whenever you introduced me. I'm actually in pre-production for that now, but uh, the, the fourth book will, well, let me back up. The first book is about effective faith, or excuse me, essential faith, which would be saving faith. The second book is about hope. Well, that is effective faith. The third book is about God's love. So that is excellent faith. And the fourth book will probably be a book on trust. So what I have is faith, hope, and love, and the fourth book, most likely to be about trust. Ah, well, that works. <laughs> okay, so you haven't really started on it yet, though. No, just conceptually. And what I do as an author is I create a file on my computer. And when I run across anything that has content that would be reasonable for the project, I stick it in that folder. I give it a title and I stick it in that folder. And then when I get ready to actually organize to sit down and write, um, I will go back to that folder, restructure it, and I end up putting it in categories that would represent the chapters as I see it going in. It changes, but it's it's uh, pretty much put together in chapter format. Oh, very organized. I am. <laughs> <laughs> now, um, do you see yourself continuing? I mean, this is a continual process of writing books. I mean, have you ever thought about going to the dark side, the fiction side? Oh no, I am totally a nonfiction <laughs> woman. I, I don't have I don't have the kind of creativity and the ability to come up with plot and all that's involved with with novels or or fiction. I'm strictly nonfiction. And it, it makes sense because my calling is truly to help people discover and live in the same life giving truth that I've been blessed to find. I I mean, I'm like a frosted mini wheat. I've got my frosted fiction side and I've got my strictly fiber side, <laughs> which is nonfiction. <laughs> um, but I find it a whole lot more easier uh, just to sit and make stuff up all day. I mean, <laughs> writing fiction is like, is fun for me. It is. No, I'm it's glad just, for it's that. Fun. Yeah, I'm glad for that. And I... <laughs> and admire people who have that ability. Dr. Craig Hazen, who is the individual who founded the apologetics department at Biola University, he has written uh, um, a novel, a fiction book, and it's excellent. So my hat's off to you. <laughs> well, it's a lot of fun if you ever decide to try it out. <laughs> um, what advice would you give to a beginning author? You know, someone who maybe. God has just kind of put this seed in their heart about writing something. And I mean, how did they start? Well, the actual discipline of writing is something that each writer needs to figure out for him or herself, because we all have our own methods and ways of, of working. But when I started out, and, I, and as I mentioned, I, I knew I was going to publish my first book as an indie author. 
uh, I knew nothing. You mentioned that you knew nothing. It was a, a huge learning curve for you. And I actually right. got taken advantage of financially. I got seriously taken advantage of because I oh, didn't did know you go to one of those publishing houses where they, yes. one of the so-called publishing houses. <laughs> yes. Okay. And I didn't know what I didn't know. And there's no shame in that, but no. I should have done a lot more research ahead of time. But again, I didn't even know how to start with that. Um, I was, I was taken for a lot of money and that's actually what caused me to decide, no, I'm canceling the contract with this publishing house and I'm taking matters into my own hands completely. So I did, and it's turned out to be much better. Um, it'll be a long time before I earn the money back on my books, even with the three in the series, but it's, it's worth it. Um, one of the things that took me by surprise was how many books I would have to give away. I didn't expect yes. that. I, I think an, a new author, an inexperienced author thinks that they'll write the book and people will love it. Well, there's this thing called marketing that will uh, uh, attract yes. people to your book. Yeah. And even, even authors who have been given a handsome advance from a tradition are still required to do their own marketing. And that's one reason I, I thought, well, why would I want to have a publishing house have so much influence and um, profits of my books if I still have to do all the marketing? So, well, with that and it mind, depends on the I mean, publishing that was house. A, a, too, you know, some of them do some marketing, but they do expect you to do a whole lot. Right. And I think you would agree with me, Linda, that publishing houses are going to put 80% of their marketing budget into their best sellers. That exactly. means the 20% that's left over of their marketing budget is over a big group of people. So yes. even if your publisher is helping you with marketing, the lion's share goes on the author's shoulder. And right, because the most you'll get is that you'll get put in the catalog <laughs> and maybe yes. a few yes. ads, yes. you know. Yeah. Yes. And, you know, it's not like you don't write it and they come. It doesn't work like that. You've got to do marketing. And that made me angry, actually, because marketing is a discipline in and of itself. People go to school for years to learn marketing and yes. to expect a writer to be able to do effective marketing is ludicrous, but it's the world we live in now. And, and, you know, most of us, it's, it's not our favorite thing to do. Um, I, I guess my approach is to, you know, I interact a lot on social media and when I have a new book out, I just say, Hey, my new book's out, <laughs> you know, and, and the mm -hmm. people who, mm -hmm. you know, if you're just hammering your stuff over and over, like I see some, some authors do, just, you know, publishing this, you know, this same ad over and over and over, people tend to ignore it. But if they have a relationship with you, they're Absolutely. more apt to want to pick up your product, you know, because they, they know you. That is the <laughs> operative word. Relationship. relationship is the operative word. In today's marketing yeah. world, and I've sat under a gentleman that has taught me a lot for the last several years. In today's world, it's all about relationship or social marketing. And people will it's people only want to do business with those who have a product that is really, truly doing good. And in fact, if this is another thing I've learned to have a product that's going to be successful, it needs to solve a problem, meet a need or help bring about a dream. So yes. if your book mm -hmm. does not do one of those three things, you really have something that may not be received at all because there's no perceived by people. Now the Chia pet is an exemption. It's one of those <laughs> and did really well. I mean, it, it certainly doesn't solve a problem. It doesn't meet a need and it doesn't achieve a dream, but it, it did well. So there are exceptions, but by and large, your, your product, your book, your topic, your service needs to do one of those three things to be considered viable and received by the public. You know, and, and the other nice part about a relationship is um, you get to meet a lot of really interesting people and interact with their lives as well. Mm -hmm. You know, like I like to look at their feed and, and comment and things. And, you know, so it's, it's um, a two way street. It really is. But um, it absolutely. Is. Okay. 
No, go on, go on. I was just going to say, you're asking about those people who had over and over and over again, buy my book, buy my book, buy my book. They're turning people off. You've got not just you, but me, everybody who's trying to market anything, we've got to establish relationship. And we do that by demonstrating that we have something that we're willing to give you for free until you realize that there's more that you're willing to pay for. Right. You've got to give away a little to get that interest, you know, and, and like today we're giving away a book and gosh, this is a perfect, uh, opportunity for me to reach into this pile of crumpled <laughs> crumpled names and pick out our winner today of revive now, your life i don't know where the names came from they came from uh facebook from the posts on the okay. along came a writer page and also on my page and okay. i copied them all down I remember okay so the you said, if you want a chance to win you said you want a chance to win to comment below i remember seeing that comment or or like is fine too and mm -hmm. our winner today is kathy mesker m-e-s-s -S. yeah <laughs> kathy mesker so she won the book and i will i will connect her with you and she will get Lovely. a copy of her book yes. well, let's toss up some confetti <laughs> and celebrate kathy's win yes <laughs> Woo! <laughs> that's awesome now <laughs> now um, I wanted to reserve some time to talk about your testimony, uh, of what happened when you had your cardiac event, because I just think, oh my gosh, that, that really touched my heart. When I've had you on the show before, I was on a previous network, and um, I thought, oh my gosh, you've got to tell that story again. <laughs> well, geez, this took place in 2002, Linda. And let me give a little bit of setup to this. I was not raised in a Christian home, but my parents allowed my sister and I to attend church with our aunts or the next door neighbor occasionally. So I really didn't mm -hmm. find Jesus until I was almost 30 years old. I just was living according to the world. But when I'd made a sufficient mess of my life, I mean a mess, I was able in my pain to recall what I was taught as a little girl by that precious Sunday school teacher. And in my pain, in the depths of despair, I cried out to God in all abandon. And he met me in a powerful way that night. As I said, I was almost 30 years old. I couldn't get enough. I had to make up for lost time. I mean, I listened to Christian teaching and talk radio all day long. I read everything I could. I got involved in the church. I was in Bible study every time the doors were open. I actually became a member of community community Bible study, uh, which I love. Oh, I love that Bible inter study. Yes, yeah. I do too. And in fact, five years after I became a Christian, uh, I moved to a new community and the Lord asked me to teach for a community Bible study class, which I could not believe. Um, nice. But I took three days. I considered it. And I got back to the Lord. I said, okay, Lord, if this is what you want me to do. And you know, Linda, it was the best thing I could have done at the time, because in order to teach something, you've got to study a great deal. So all yes. that study was helping to grow me in my faith in a, in a great way. In a, in a, so that is, is some of the background. And, and I taught for CBS for about seven years. And then after that, the Lord opened up doors for me unexpectedly to be a retreat and a conference speaker, a seminar panelist and whatnot. Again, as I said earlier, I never aspired to do the things that God's called me to do. But following that, he opened up doors for me to actually be on traditional radio for Christian stations. Um, and I've told you about how I got started in writing the books. But in 2002, yes. I was playing tennis with some ladies I'd never met before. And I really wanted to do well because I wanted to be a regular with this team of women. And I took my place on the court and right away, and I, I thought it was nerves. I thought the shortness of breath and the feelings that I was experiencing was just nerves for wanting to do a good job. Well, the first ball that I hit in trying to warm up went over the fence. I'm not talking about the net. I'm talking about the tall fence. Oh. <laughs> and the second ball that I hit went over to Jill, who was warming up with Terry, I was supposed to be warming up with Debbie. So I hit the ball in a completely wrong direction. And I realized I was getting far more anxious 
because I was doing such a poor job. So I told the ladies that I really couldn't play right now and wanted to sit down to just kind of re recover emotionally. And I tried to do that and I didn't get any better. The entire story is on my website, but to, to make it short, I didn't get any better. Uh, my symptoms actually worsened and I resisted the women calling 911, but ultimately they did call 911 and the paramedics and everybody arrived within six minutes and 21 seconds of the call. And when they arrived at the scene, they be began administering advanced life support. And I recall a lot about the event. That's why it makes a very compelling story. And in fact, I'm actually, my story of surviving sudden cardiac arrest is actually used at fundraisers. Um, so anyway. And, the, and let me interrupt. People can read that entire testimony on um, PamelaChristianMinistries.com. Yes. And it's and amazing. There's also the um, condensed audio visual version because I was the keynote speaker at UCI's at the University of California, Irvine's first annual day of women's health that was held at the Crystal Cathedral. So you can see a condensed version oh, wow. of the audio visual there. But, and, um, and that's something that is hard to survive from if you're not getting care immediately. Exactly. You know, it's, fact, it's different from a heart attack. It is. A sudden cardiac arrest is different from a heart attack. A heart attack is where the heart convulses because of some blockage, but a cardiac arrest is where the heart abruptly stops. And in, in the case of victims of sudden cardiac arrest, only 5% of those who get help immediately survive. The others may survive <laughs> with brain damage or other conditions. Uh, but it's a very those odds are not good. <laughs> no, they are not. And, and something else I want to, your listeners to be aware of is that heart disease is the leading cause of death in America. It's not breast cancer. It's heart disease. And so I'm now, I didn't know that. Listeners, yeah, yeah. Oh. A lot of people don't know that. And that's why I started my heart disease awareness campaign called Bless Your Heart campaign, um, helping women everywhere become aware um, it, it is breast cancer has a lot of publicity, which is good. We need awareness on that, but we need increased awareness on cardiovascular disease. In, in my case, uh, the paramedics arrived on time, but uh, within minutes after they arrived, I was gone. I actually died. And my experience was the best way I can explain it because there really are no human words to explain it is I felt like I was, I was at the threshold of heaven. I was completely at peace. I knew I was in the center of God's sovereign care. There was a horizontal white light off in the distance, but it didn't beckon me. And that was perfectly fine. I was also aware that I'm a wife and a mother, but I knew because of the peace of the sovereignty of God's care that my family, even if I wasn't with them, would be just fine. So what oh happened was goodness. the paramedics actually defibrillated me and 200 joules of power were surged in through my body. And my heart responded with the first, um, the first treatment. So <laughs> Greg Brinkley was one of the men who were on the scene uh, and he was calling my name to call me back. Pam, are you with us? Pam, come back. Well, Greg happens to be an African-American man. So I'm lying on the sidewalk. I mean, a, a bunch of people had gathered and I, I come back from being in this incredible, peaceful threshold place of heaven. And I opened my eyes and I see knelt over me the face of a black man and the sky and the sh and the clouds. And I think, oh, what do you know? Jesus is black. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, you know, I have to add to this that God is every color. So we are his colors collectively. But that was my first incoherent thought. And then I realized that that wasn't Jesus who was looking at me. It was one of the men that Jesus sent to save my life. And, and well, and but you wouldn't, you kind of wouldn't be wrong in a way because black is every color. <laughs> it's all point. colors combined, isn't it? <laughs> That's, a That's a very good point. But in this whole dramatic story, there are a lot of humorous points. And when I tell the story in person, it's good that there are these humorous points because it's so dramatic that people need a reason to have a relief from the drama. And I've had a number of people after hearing my story contact me. They, they may have heard my story from me personally. Uh, they may have heard my story recorded on Focus on the Family. They may have heard me as I was interviewed on radio, but we've had a number of people contact and they've told me that because they heard my story and they were more aware of the symptoms, 
that they were able to get either themselves or a loved one to the hospital or to call 911 and their life was spared. So God continues to use this story. And what caused it? Did you find out later? No, they never found out. They kept me in the hospital for eight days. I was actually treated like a medical celebrity because they wanted to find out. But I was, (laughs) you know, this, this was 2002. I was a whole lot younger. I wasn't overweight. I didn't smoke. There was no history of heart disease in my family. The doctors found no cholesterol or electrical problems within my body. So it's a complete mystery. And it was decided because it was a mystery that the best recommendation would be to surgically fit me with what's called the AICD, an automatic implantable cardiovascular device. And this device Mm -hmm. monitors my heart every moment of every day. And if there's a rhythm that's off, either the defibrillator or the pacemaker will come on. Well, in all these years, 15 years, it has never been needed. I am miraculously healed. There is absolutely no residual heart damage. I am not, I do not take any medications and I still play tennis. Well, God brought you back. So he had a purpose for you (laughs) and we're glad he did. Yes. Yes. You know, people said that I was very intense about my faith before the event, but after the event, learning how very fragile life really is. I'm even more intense, Linda, about helping people discover the truth that I've been blessed to find. You know, um, nothing's impossible with God. And I think a lot of times we, we don't get answers to certain prayers because we give up. We mm-hmm. give up when it looks like nothing's happening. And um, I'm sure your friends were praying for you, you know, yeah, when all this was happening, yes. you know. Yeah. And, you know, and they... It, you really have to walk by faith and not by sight. Um, but also on the other hand, trust God, no matter mm-hmm. what, mm-hmm. you know, and that's a hard line. It's a hard line to walk sometimes. It is. You know, and I often because think of Shadrach. Yes. Sorry, there's a little <laughs> delay, but I often think of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. They said, though I perish yet will I worship him. And they entered into the fiery furnace. And then there was the fourth yes. man with them. And their lives were spared. They came out of that fiery furnace, not even smelling of smoke. So we trust God, but we leave the outcome in his hands. Yes, because, you know, you can look around and, well, this person got prayed for and they survived or they were healed. And this person got prayed for and they didn't survive, you know. But people who are in heaven, um, Mm. I can't imagine they'd ever want to come back. Exactly. The ones that do are the ones God makes come back. Because <laughs> I think if you were given the choice, you know, I think it would be irresistible just to be there. Absolutely. Absolutely. I have a dear friend who's my age and her husband is my husband's age. And he recently passed away. And her first reaction was, oh, my gosh, he's in the company of Jesus. I can't wish for him to come back. And she imagines how wonderful it is for her, her husband, and this has helped her greatly in her, her own grief. Well, you know, I, we're getting close to the end, and I wanted to ask you this one last question. Um, you wrote that unless people discover their God-given purpose, they won't find true personal fulfillment. Now, how can, how can people learn about and embrace their destiny? Well, let's start with the concept of evolution. With, with evolution, there is no meaning or purpose in life. And I think this is what is, we're seeing is finally breaking down. People are breaking down under that hopelessness. It's nihilism, totally. Yes, yeah. yes. And people are starting, as I, as I said, their, their bottom hope, their, their final glimmer of hope is that Hope they they want to find something better. They they believe that there there must be something better. There has to be something better than just nothingness, and it's that driving force that is drawing people back to God. Um, To find our purpose in life is number one to discover who God is, to understand His character and His will and His intentions for humanity. Once we understand that, then we then we realize we have exceedingly significant value in God's eyes, so much so that he sent his own son, Jesus, to take on human form, to live the human existence, and to suffer and die in our place. That's how much God loves us. 
while we are yet sinners, before we've ever turned our, our heart to him, Jesus died for us. Once we understand that and that we have such significance in God's eyes, so much so that he personally paid the price that we could be restored to him, then we can begin exploring, well, what has God in mind for me to do? And the scriptures say that before any one of us were conceived, he had a plan and a purpose for our lives. So our task, our glorious task is to find out, God, for what reason did you make me? Why did you have me born for this particular time in history? What can I do to help you and your plans to eradicate this world of evil once and for all? And it's a, it's a glorious journey. Our gifts and our talents, our, our, our natural talents are things that we are good at, we enjoy doing. Our spiritual gifts are given to us as a believer in Jesus Christ. Uh, God gives us spiritual gifts so that we can do what he's called us to do. Once we understand what our natural gifts are and what our spiritual gifts are, then we can begin seeking the Lord about how do you want me to apply these things? Then our life begins to take on meaning and purpose, and we are living for something greater than ourselves. Yes, <laughs> I agree. Yes and yes. <laughs> um so where are you speaking next, Pamela? The next location that I have is in September in Tennessee. And in fact, I have a Ooh, church beautiful. in Virginia that's thinking of trying to get me to connect up with them while I'm back there, because that means they won't have to pay my airfare. And so I would <laughs> say to your, to your listeners, if there's anybody in the vicinity of Tennessee in the month of September that you would like to have, uh, con you know, consider having me come speak, we could piggyback my trip to Tennessee to actually being in your community. So let's explore the idea. Well, are you, are you heading someplace after that? You're not heading to Texas, are you? Well, I don't have that planned right now. If I'm invited, I'll work it out. <laughs> you hear it, listeners, uh, you know, leaders of women's ministries, <laughs> Pamela's available to come to your church and speak to your women. Um, so what is next? I mean, you, I mean, do you speak all the way to the end of the year or just kind of block off December and say, I'm done for the year? No, I don't necessarily block off December. Um, there are a few times that uh, speaking in December is really very beneficial for another congregation or another community. So I'm happy to do that. Um, I have yet to actually turn down anything that has been requested of me. Um, very, very few. I can, I can think back over the years, there's been very few situations where I needed to turn something down. So I, I welcome the opportunity. Speaking and teaching is actually what I enjoy the most, Linda. Uh, writing is something I do. Uh, and, I, and again, I never aspired toward it, but the speaking and teaching is what I truly love to do. And people can get your books off of your website, um, Pamela Christian Ministries, um, dot com. I mean, they can get them there and you're, you're all over social media too. So they I can am. find you. Yeah. Absolutely. They can find you there and you're all over the place, right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You'll find yeah. me on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and um, yeah. my books are available at uh, my website. And I appreciate people buying from my website because that provides a greater financial support for my ministry. But I'm also on Amazon, Barnes and Noble and the finer Christian bookstores. And they're available in ebook and print formats, right? Yes, they absolutely. Mm -hmm. That's true. Okay. All right. So um, thank you so much. And um, next month I'm doing something fun with author Kathleen Barbo and a circle of friends, um, including myself. We got together when she started seeing um, a certain man and uh, we decided to vet him. <laughs> So we're going to tell the story. She, they wound up getting married, but we're going to tell this this um, story of romance and um, and how your girlfriends can help you choose the right man because he turned out <laughs> to be the right man. <laughs> but it ought to be fun, and I'm not sure if anyone's really going to get a word in edgewise with all these women, um, and also have the the husband on too. So I'm not sure he's the one who'll get a word in edgewise. <laughs> Anyway, thanks so much for being on the show, Pamela, and I hope you'll come back. Linda, I so appreciate you having me on and all that you do. <laughs> I know your listeners really appreciate you. Well, I just, it's so delightful talking to you. I could, I could talk all day. <laughs> thanks so much. Bye-bye. Right, Good evening, everybody.